Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast, the podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your professional skills. Each episode, we share the top tips, failures, and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hi everyone and welcome to the second ever episode of the Elevated You podcast. Today we've got a real treat. We'll be talking to someone about their journey from techie engineer through to CEO of their own tech company. It's great to have this guest on the show. I first worked with him in the noughties and then he went off to found his own successful data-focused company. Please welcome to the podcast Coeo CEO Justin Langford. Hi Ben, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> You're welcome. No, it's lovely to have you. The first thing I think I need to, to address is there's a lot of C's, E's, and O's in Coeo CEO. Is that by design? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, um, because of that reason, refer to myself as Chief Executive, right, just because okay. it is a bit weird being CEO of Coeo. But Coeo, we chose it's a Latin word which means to integrate or combine. So it's what we do with data and how we work with clients. So there is a rationale, and we still get lots of clients and partners that will capitalize it thinking that it's an acronym or it means center of excellence for something uh, but yeah it is a, a real word with uh, with some roots and history about how we organize the business and the kind of culture and values God, as well. A bit of Latin, I love a bit of highbrow yeah, to start exactly. off the, the, the podcast, brilliant. So um, I, I wonder for those people that haven't come across you before could, could you introduce yourself in a little bit? Yeah, sure. So um, Ben and I, you, we first met working at Microsoft. I was in the field engineering team, so worked in Thames Valley Park, but with clients that worked directly with Microsoft. And in that time, I saw a lot of clients that had problems with SQL Server or projects with SQL Server. So they had business pain or, or opportunities around data, and it was really important and valuable to those businesses that they got those problems solved right and got the architecture right for, for new platforms. And in many cases, they'd come to Microsoft and ask for help, but um, Microsoft were predominantly a software business, not really focused around services. Okay. So um, we would sometimes take those clients on, but but often defer those clients and, and introduce them to partners. And sitting at Microsoft, there were very few partners that were data specialists committed to the Microsoft platform. So there were often SharePoint or Dynamics or software development houses that had some SQL Server skills, but not loads of partners that were 100% Microsoft and 100% data focused. Okay. So I wasn't sure whether that's because there wasn't enough demand in the market to support a partner doing that or whether no one had thought of it. And um, kind of looking in other geographies in the US and in Australia and New Zealand, there were businesses that were data specialists and focused on the Microsoft data platform. Okay. And so that was when you started Coeo. And so Coeo Now is a is, is that still the remit of Coeo Now? Data focused, Microsoft focused, professional service focused. Yep, absolutely. So we're we're 100% Microsoft and 100% data. We look after clients uh, data through its entire life cycle. So we start with strategy and governance. So a lot of organizations come to us with um, a long list of poss possibilities or ambition around data, but unsure how to structure that in a project to deliver value for their business. Okay. So we help 
clients get out of their data center and adopt cloud. So um, migrations and transformations when they get to cloud. So moving from virtual machines into platform as a service and uh, a managed environment, and then driving value and insight out of their data through analytics, predictive analytics, and AI. Okay. And then we manage all of that platform. So we manage the transaction processing systems, the analytics solutions. So we offer a, a complete one-stop shop for our clients with data. Okay. Now, a minute ago, um, you, you were talking back in the, it was in the noughties, I hate to say that we're that <laughs> old, um, but back in the noughties, we were both engineers together working at Microsoft. So, so what was it? So there you are doing lots of deep technical work in a corporate, uh, good paycheck, stock, probably wasn't doing much in the noughties, if I'm honest, but you know, yeah. nice, li- nice life. And then you kind of taken this leap of faith, started your own company. What on earth made you as a techie person leave Microsoft and all that security to start this? Yeah, it's a good question because life at Microsoft was good. And like, I never worried if I was going to get paid from one month to the next. I never worried if a customer was going to default on their invoice or be late paying me. Um, and I had a very um, predictable career path and, you know, I could see my future at Microsoft. Um, so ultimately, I think it was curiosity and um, and there were lots of great things about the culture at Microsoft and the team that I wanted to, to adapt and evolve, refine for data professionals. Okay. Back to the earlier point, I think fundamentally Microsoft at the time was a software business, not a services business. So the services business existed to support license sales. Okay. Uh, so the, the business was not, I was not the product of the business. Software was the product of the business. At the time we were selling enterprise edition core-based licenses and the services were there to make sure that customers get value out of their license investment and that they would renew their license investment fundamentally. So I wasn't the product of the business. And what I observed about professional services businesses is that the people were the product of the business. And the culture in those businesses are that they invest in people because the engineers, the consultants, the architects, the support folks, they are the product that is being sold and bought by clients. So the culture of the firm is such that the more that they invest in the team and the people, the more value they drive for the company. And hopefully that drives a great team ethos, great working environment, um, a return on investment for the business, but a satisfying, challenging and rewarding career for the individuals as well. And so you sort of took this leap going from uh, an engineer at Microsoft with a pipeline of work to now the unknown and not this. Did you have many business skills? Um, Did you have a set of clients or, you know, that were lined up or pretty, you know, pretty sure that you were going to line them up? What, What was that like, that transition of leaving and moving into that type of world? Um, we didn't have any clients lined up (laughs) and uh, we didn't have, um, so you had enough money to buy a laptop, have a basic website built and at the time business cards were still a thing and it was an important point of credibility of being um, a proper company that we had had a piece of card a a bit of paper (laughs) with our name and mobile number on but that that was that was basic I I think it's really true to say that um, that I was prepared to fail so um, you know entering into this uh, hoping that it would be successful and uh, pretty determined to give it a good go but also organizing the business such that um we could kind of throw the towel in and walk away from it if it didn't work as well. So, you know, we didn't know whether there wasn't uh, there wasn't a business doing this in the UK because there wasn't enough demand. Okay. Um, I was fortunate in getting recommended in 
to, to a number of clients pretty quickly and uh, built up a client base uh, from uh, from pre- pretty early doors. But it is daunting. Um, and I remember like leaving Microsoft on a Friday, starting Coeo on a Monday, and you're F5-ing your inbox and there's no <laughs> mails. And when you work at a big company, there's just a deluge of email and the, um, the sophistication of your inbox rules to route those messages so you can find the important stuff from the noise. Yeah. That's quite a, an art. And to switch that off overnight and have your own mailbox with no messages in, is quite yeah. uh, a cold shower shock yeah. around um you know i, I am outside yeah now. and and um so so then you, you started to get your first customers H- how much do you reckon in the early days did you spend doing the technical stuff where you had a good set of skills i guess around sql at the time um versus all of those other skills that you you need in business you know of generating a pipeline of clients or vat or you know whatever else it might be how much sort of time did you spend doing the techie side versus the business side in the early days? So um, it's a necessity to wear multiple hats in a small business. And I, we're a bigger business now, but still not a very big business. <laughs> and I still wear multiple hats every day, every hour, sometimes. I think we took a, an approach that I learned from Microsoft. And what I observed at Microsoft is that they outsourced all non-core services. Okay. So lots of support. Uh, business support functions were were not on the payroll okay. and um, and we still have that rationale or, or um, objective today at Coeo so um, the, the people on the on the payroll are mostly serving clients or supporting those directly serving clients we don't have a lot of uh, peripheral or kind of business support roles okay with the yeah you know, as a business grows we need um, more investment in people and, and support functions but certainly in those early days there were days when I was writing sales proposals, delivering projects, raising invoices, chasing debtors, uh, servicing support tickets for managed service clients, and and doing all of those things in a a day. And I think that part of the evolution of the business for, for a founder is essentially in making yourself redundant insofar as you're kind of creating um, discrete role definitions and role profiles that you can actually go and hire someone from the market to help fulfill that function and then you move on to the next uh, next role and function within the business so you were sort of by by day for want of a better phrase in with a customer talking about tuning and performance optimizing sql getting really quite hands-on really quite detailed and then raising the invoices trying to make yourself redundant trying to scale up and was there was there a point where you then started going right i can't do this we can't just do this on our own we now need to to really start hiring in other people was that a leap of faith I guess as you went from just the founders to the the next level of maturity was that quite a leap of faith as well yeah I think that the first hire definitely and looking at the total cost to the company of that individual so um, we all understand salary, but um, the the cost to a business of hiring an individual, potentially paying them for sick leave, public holidays, overtime, training, there's like a double cost of, yeah. of everything yeah. and paying tax on benefits. So um, when we do something nice like a Christmas party or a summer barbecue, HMRC provides an allowance for individuals for entertainment and that allowance is 150 pounds per person per tax year so anything that we spend on individuals above that we have to pay tax on so every every 100 pounds that we spend basically costs us 40 percent more than that so you know administering all of those things is um is is a burden and, and a cost but i think um 
I, in the evolution of the business, I was um, on-call escalation. So we provide 24 by 7 services. We have on-call engineers and then we have escalation engineers. I was only recently, relatively recently, removed from that on-call escalation okay. process. So um, while I was not um, hands-on with servers, making sure that we've got the right people and that we've got the right resources to support a client that's going through a period of trouble with high-impact issues, yeah. uh, that, that was part of my role until relatively recently. So um, I'm very much close to what we do for clients, the impact of what it has. Um, and while I'm not hands-on, I'm still very um, attuned to the role of data within their business and how that can affect them. And so so now, Coteo, I think, did you say there's around 100 people, did I? I think yeah, you said, yeah. you said uh, working here now. So if you compare, I guess, a day in the life of you as a CEO running a chief executive, uh, not uh, running a company of 100 people versus that that first sort of uh, week or, you know, that what's your ratio of technical stuff versus business stuff versus sales? What's that like? What does that look for you today, a day in the life today? Um, so, so it's very much less technical and very much more about the telemetry of running the business and, okay. and making the, the decisions and, and choices around how we run the business. Um, Although I still context switch a lot and um, I still deal a lot with people. So I think that um, as a professional services business, we've essentially got two audiences, two groups of people that we need to keep happy. We have to recruit, retain, reward and develop our team. They are the product of the business. Um, And we have to keep our clients happy and the market is changing rapidly. So our service proposition, our go-to markets, the composition of our project delivery and managed services need to evolve at the rate that the uh, that the market and the industry is, is evolving at, and customers expect us to lead them in that way. So um, thought leadership and innovation in that space is, is a big part as well. So listening to clients, understanding their pain points and challenges, and then making sure that we can we can satisfy and deliver against those is a big part of what I do. And and so as you elevate away from the, the deep tech day-to-day stuff, do you miss it? Because it's a journey that resonates with me. You know, as I said, we were we were both engineers back in the day, um, and there, there came a point for me where I was thinking, do you know what? I'm not sure I'm loving that level of detail uh, that I used to. Um, but at times in my career, I've elevated too far away from it, and um, and actually, I'm still a bit of a geek at heart, and I love you know I love to to geek out. You know, at the moment, it's about audio equipment. <laughs> you know, yeah. doing a podcast, and I still love to get into that detail. So, how do you have you changed as a person in terms of your your passion for tech or the way that you focus on tech? How's that changed for you? Um, so fundamentally, I still love data and I still love technology and I still get a lot of satisfaction and reward from that. I probably do more of it in my free time than I do in my working life <laughs> right. now. But um, but you know, I love data and I love SQL Server and the Microsoft platform and cloud. So I get a lot of satisfaction and reward about that. Um, I, I think of myself as a servant to the business. Okay. So what that means is that I consider the hours of the day, the days of the week, the weeks of the months to be quite a precious resource in the business. And I prioritize how I spend my time based on what the business needs. And in a fast growing business, 
that shifts from from week to week to week and month to month. Um, but I try to be objective about and responsible about how I spend my time. So it's very tempting for me to get stuck into a complex or long running performance tuning issue or <laughs> replication it's still there for our clients. Yeah. yeah, and so I have to fight the urge yeah. to step back and allow others to do that. And there are times when I oversee it and will uh, will speak to. Uh, leadership on our client side to reassure them that we're, we've got an action plan and we're working through the things that we need to do in order to resolve an incident. But I, I have to be disciplined in, in allowing others to, to take over that technical ownership, responsibility and leadership of those issues as well. Okay. So I, I guess that leads us on to really interesting topic, which is, which is sort of around the skill set that, that you need and so if you were um, reflecting on the skills that you needed when you started the business versus the skills that you had, what would be uh, the, the, the gaps that you had? Um, I've made lots of mistakes and um, I, I, I've learned by trial and error. So if I can help other people um, make fewer mistakes or learn from my mistakes, then, then that would be a good thing. Yeah. I, I think that, um, yeah, naive totally naive and optimistic would be um, an understatement and um there were um but but you know lots of things have gone well and and the business has grown and i've uh, learned and pivoted and and evolved rapidly during that time i think that there's uh, there's one book that i read that covers a lot of those aspects which really helped um put put the pieces in place for me that's called the beer mat entrepreneur Right. I've not read, I've not even heard that one actually. Yeah. Right. So it, it's probably a bit dated now, but that talks about four cornerstones of a healthy business and they're sales, finance, delivery, and skills. And, and what that means, what they mean by those cornerstones is that you've basically got to have those aspects of the business covered in order to have a healthy and robust business. That doesn't mean that you need to do those things yourself. So I think. Um, recognizing um, deficiencies in your own skills or gaps in experience, then identifying people that can help you is is a really important thing. So um, as an example around finance, in the early days, I was very um, hot on cash flow management. So uh, multiple times a week, I was managing invoices, the bank account, payroll, like when payroll was going to come out of the bank account and and literally not surviving day by day, but just had to be on top of... Cash flow was really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you pay your VAT quarterly in arrears. If you don't make a provision for that and corporation tax annually in arrears, if you don't accrue for that and like put some money aside month by month, yeah. those things mount up and can bite you and cash is king in the early days in a small yeah. business. So, so keeping on top of that is really important. We then... Um, I, I found that... Um, I was really, really too busy to raise invoices and chase debt. (laughs) And I knew that that was important for for us to do. So we found a bookkeeper that provided a service where they would raise the invoice and they would um, manage debtors for us to chase clients when they're overdue on their invoice payment and then keep us informed. Um, And that was transformational in that it got the job done, but it released me from that burden. Um, We then got to a point where we were growing rapidly. We were at late stages of some big project bids for clients and we knew that we would need to recruit if we 
won those deals and we knew that we could keep those people busy during the life cycle of that project yeah. the question was at what point do we run out of cash after that and how much do we need to sell in order to to retain them yeah and and what we found so i built a model and was trying to answer some of these what if questions and i tried to get the the accounting firm the bookkeepers to help us with that and what i learned was that those are different skills from from an FD role. Okay, and FD, you're talking finance director. Yeah, role. exactly. Yeah. So, so the accountant and the bookkeeper were, were brilliant operationally with with invoicing and debtor management, but they couldn't help us around the kind of strategic planning and the forecasting of the business and building a robust model that we could ask what if questions. Yeah. So we went to uh, an independent organization that specialized in providing fractional finance directors. Yeah. So those are typically people that have experienced in corporate career, but for many reasons have taken a step out of that and they run a portfolio of services bringing big company experience into smaller businesses. Okay. Um, and we found William Plant, who's still our finance director today, and um, he's been um, instrumental in the kind of growth of the business and, and financial modelling and being able to answer those what-if questions. So uh, those are just examples, but the, the principle there is um, recognise and identify activities that, that are required to run the business which are outside your core skill set and find someone or some way to fulfill that and there's lots of services and the UK is brilliant for B2B services where okay. organizations can pick up some fractional help that will plug a number of different gaps across the kind of management team and strategy for the business. Brilliant. And and just to go back to those four core cornerstones that you, that you talked about, what were they again? They were sales. Sales. So you need some kind of sales function. Yep. Yeah. You need some kind of finance. Finance function. Uh, delivery. Okay. So delivering what you promised to the customers in the sales process. Yeah. Yep. And then skills. And what do you mean by that? So that's building knowledge and uh, process and uh, and people in the business. Okay. okay. So um, I guess that crosses all of those disciplines because we need to be able to create something that we can sell. And yeah. then deliver, and then get paid for it. Obviously. So you still need great technical skills, as well as some of those other skills that exactly. you get now, maybe marketing or finance or, or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Now, w one of the things that you you talked about there was you made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, and I, and I tell you what, I love to talk to people about mistakes, and the reason for that is because so often the world and social media is full of people high, highlight reels. You know, look at me on this stage, look at me in this great selfie or whatever. Um, but I think certainly from my experience, I've really learned from the mistakes that I've made in the face. Is, is there anything, anything that springs to your mind where you go, God, I I've always remembered that lesson from that mistake. Anything that you'd have, be happy to share? I think we've been really conservative with growing the business. And if I were to have my time again, yeah. I would be, um, I would grow the business faster and be more, uh, more ambitious and, and more aggressive with growing the business. So uh, we could actually achieve three years growth in two years, maybe. Okay. Um, now, the, the way that we have organized the business and through organic growth has given us a strong cash position and it's allowed us to weather um, financial pressures like economic pressures and, and coronavirus without any real concerns for uh, for cash flow or for uh, cash reserves to kind of run the business so that's given us a lot of security yeah but uh, but if i were to run again i think i would be more 
I'd, I'd move at faster pace okay. and I'd be uh, more aggressive with growing the business actually. So probably the regret is missed opportunity, the, the kind of flip side of that. And um, and I think that we could definitely go faster and, and bigger with the business. So um, so practically, what, what does that mean? So how would you... How would you have gone faster? What are the things that you would, if you had your time again, what would the things that you would do differently? Yeah, so I think that's about um, investments and um, no one can tell anyone what investments will, there's no investment that will have a guaranteed return. So we need to try a bunch of different things and we need to monitor, measure them and pivot if they're not working. So those are around uh, sales and marketing investments, around building out IP, international expansion. Those are the types of things that we've uh, we've really embraced in the last couple of years that have helped us go faster, which if I were to have my time again, I would have done those sooner in the kind of even evolution of the business. Okay, so I guess you'd have added in a little bit more risk because you think that there would have been reward yeah. reward going through that, which is which is interesting because I speak uh, to a lot of people um, because I've set up my own business and they're like, oh, I, w- I wouldn't do that, you know, just yeah. the risk. So probably we're maybe not the most risk adverse people because yep, we've, we've yep. both jumped out of a corporate and, and set up, but you're thinking actually there's probably a little bit more appetite for risk that you could take to, uh, to go faster yeah and it's yeah. conservative with a small c so you know we've yeah. been we've been a real uh, a real robust solid business yeah. uh, i think that we can go faster and, um, and and we are going faster but um we could have done that sooner yeah yeah and i think that's a challenge as i reflect on that because i like to take the learnings of others and think how does that you know I go oh how, how much risk can I can I take before I start to feel stressed or uncomfortable yeah, or yeah. is this um but I, I flip that round and go there is always more ambition isn't there there is always uh, and when you see like the great sporting greats and you see that they had that competitor that made them raise their game push them on yeah. push them on a yeah. little bit and you think oh we, I could do that a bit yeah absolutely oh fascinating well thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us really interested no worries we talked about the skills. We talked about those four cornerstones. Um, for any techies, I guess, that have uh, got that little itch, any top tips, any advice that you'd give to anybody that's really thinking about making that jump? I think it's important to decide what business you'd like to be in. Uh, okay. And I use that um, that term, thinking about um, there's lots of different options that, that any one of us can take around building tools for developers, building SaaS solutions, running a consulting practice or running a managed service business. Yeah. So um, decide what business you want to be in and then test that model and, and pursue it on that basis. Yeah. Um, there are pluses and minuses of, of each of those approaches. Uh, professional services is not for the faint-hearted and there are um, highs and lows um, and one of my learnings is that we'll never have the right number of people so it's actually about building coping mechanisms for us dealing with a, a surplus mem- a number of team members or or too few team members because so that's actually- going back to like when you were saying you had a big deal are you going to win that big deal so do you hire so that when you got it you can deliver against it yeah or do you only hire once you've signed which means then you've got not enough people to be able to yeah. do it so and so that's constantly an issue in the professional services business yeah exactly so i, I you know and i think um just just recognizing what industry you're in so you know in a professional services business we are in some situations competing with internal capability with contractors with large systems integrators and with other specialist uh 
consultancies. So uh, what business are we in and who are we competing against? I think being intentional about that is um, is really important. Okay. And so I guess then the other businesses you've got where you've got either a subscription model where you've got some product that you can monetize as a subscription. Um, you've got all the challenges then of running a subscription business. And, and then I guess if you go through a more of a product type approach, brilliant, you write it once, you can sell it a million times. But that comes with a lot of its own challenges. Yeah. So it's working out. And and Coeo, is it solely in the professional services business? So professional services and managed services. So, okay. so our ambition is that we take a client, um, modernise their data platform, build analytics, and then we support and manage that. Okay. And we've built a number of accelerators, so our own intellectual property to help clients modernise and then get value out of their data yeah. without needing to buy uh, tons of days of uh, of consulting days that they can basically leverage some of the accelerators that we've built to reduce time to value of the projects that they engage us for. Yeah, God, fascinating, um, absolutely fascinating. Um, well, I, I guess we've been talking for again on. Well, we're getting towards the end now, so I, I'm just trying to think now. So, key takeaways. What would be? Do you think the key takeaways? Uh, that you'd offer to people uh, thinking about starting their own journey in a new business? I think that um, it, it's really empowering. It's really invigorating. I think that people should be intentional and, um, and and anyone that's thinking about it should should build a support network of disciplines that uh, cover areas that are required to run a business where they don't have experience. Okay, okay. And I guess the, the key takeaways for me... Um, Completely. That, that's really interesting. The the book you were talking about. So to go through those areas to think about finance, sales, skills, and delivery. Delivery. And what was the name of that book again? The Beermat Entrepreneur. Beermat Entrepreneur. I think that's brilliant. And I think for me also, just getting um, uh, people with real uh, skill in that area in. I can identify with a lot of what you're saying because I've set up a business recently myself. Interesting, you went and you've outsourced it. I think I've gone for a bit of a mentor approach, yeah. which is to talk to people that I know that's an expert in marketing or an right. expert in sales or an expert on this, and and then just try and uh, internalise as much as I can, make as many mistakes as I can with as little impact as I yeah. can yeah. and as quickly as I can whilst I'm learning that. But I think, you know, I'm with you. You just need people to help you that have got those skills because I've certainly got so many gaps and it sounds like you, you've learned a lot of things in, and filled a lot of gaps. Um, Absolutely. As well. Um, so for people that would like to uh, find out more about Coeo, find out more about you, anything that you'd like to recommend that people do? Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we run a bunch of events to help customers on their data journey. So if, uh, if you're interested in learning more about Power BI or data strategy, then, um, then take a look at those events. Brilliant. Well, Thank you so much for welcoming me in your office. It's been lovely to talk to you and learn so much from you. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. So there we have it. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast for updates and, and rate the show. It really does help spread the word. And get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Bye for now. <laughs>